is good, y'all. It is Friday, June 11th, and we're doing pretty good. Um, Welcome to the podcast. I won't go into too much detail as to what I plan on doing with this channel. I want to create an environment that's more spontaneous than not. Um, the, the most organization I'll do in regards to my content is making myself a layout of topics, but to be perfectly honest with you guys, my mind is like a tornado, so how far we deviate from the original subject matter is totally and 100% up to my subconscious. So just sit back, enjoy, and let's get into it. Um, first segment of the day would be my ceiling fan stories, and I started these actually about a year ago. Fun facts, I used to record them in the circumstance that I would plan on suing my old legal guardians for um, emotional compromise and various other charges. But I decided later that I didn't want to cause that issue to myself, didn't want to have problems from them, just wanted to let them live their life, and... It wasn't only until recently that I came up with the idea again. And the premise is that I sit under a ceiling fan and talk about topics that get you going. Whether it's in a positive reinforcement or a negative reinforcement. Um, And the fan, there'd be a dichotomous relationship between my physical state of sweat or excitement and the wind that blows down from the fan to calm me down to make the whole atmosphere relaxed. Folks, I only talk about stuff in settings like this that are relatable. Um, I don't ever centralize groups of people. I don't have qualms about, you know, being authentic and genuine and trying to be as factual as possible. I will um, withdraw. I will keep back details as needed. I'll be mindful of privacy when it comes to discussing things, and I promise, I promise, promise, promise not to be ever insensitive. And I am totally open to people contacting me about insensitivity, um, you know, withholding certain things, censoring what I talk about. I am extremely responsive to constructive criticism. So any of you are absolutely welcome to reach out to me, and I will for sure look over it, you know, I'll process it, and then if I feel like it's a viable argument that I need to apply whenever I'm doing these shows, I will. I promise to at least give my audience that. So, today, we are going to talk about homelessness. I realize that for many of you, This is not a topic that is within your world. I think a lot of people who I know personally, at most, have seen people going through it, and by extension, the drugs, the symptoms, and the atmospheres. And I think because of a lot of my friends and acquaintances are middle class to what I dare say is higher class, I think that you're, I don't want to say ignorant to it, but desensitized to the realism of it. And so 
you tend to generalize these people who go through this horrible, horrible phase, and we never get into the root of the tree, you know, we never get into the, the sap, and I am here to kind of set that straight. I'll be <clears throat> candid enough to say that I was living pretty much in the middle class before I went to Kishokton. My parents, for all stakes and purposes, had good jobs, you know. Mom was a nurse, dad was a director in a corporate world of information technology, but these are my parents on paper. The whole nine years I knew them initially, they were, I endured unbelievable emotional, physical, sexual abuse, um, including discrimination from two Caucasian people, and I could do nothing because I lived in a conservative atmosphere that could not overlook two white saviors doing everything for these delinquent young African-American kids. <sighs> Whatever. Um, but yeah, I was desensitized to it as well. And that's why the biggest shock to me came when I went from being in a stable environment to homelessness. Um, unfortunately, a lot of veterans are prone to this situation. A lot of them have a lot of trauma, especially the ones that go overseas sees or the ones who see stuff when they're in service because folks there's a lot of shit that happens in the ranks of the military that is covered up with plausible deniability and um i'm not at liberty to really discuss everything i saw down in fort benning but if imagine 20 years 15 years even five years seeing stuff that you don't want to see and um whether that's internally or overseas and so a lot of them don't get the help they need and because of their mental health issues serving our country they end up homeless you know and the VA doesn't really provide any support other than a GI merit that really isn't all that it seems um, if you're young and naive you know, you're more likely to fall into the whole facade that they throw over the inconvenience of a concrete benefit that they provide you after you leave the military over a society and an economy that continues to get more and more expensive. So I, after everything I went through, and I am not a veteran, I do not consider myself a veteran, nor will I ever, that's disrespectful, but, um, everything I went through personally in my life, I was fucked up. Um, because trauma occurs in all kinds of ways. And I think that at some point, it finally snapped. And I think that point was when I fell out with my foster family. For circumstances that I won't elaborate. But after that occurred, I just went downhill. I spiraled folks, I, I began what most people would call midlife crisis, and if certain things would have occurred, 
that probably would have been my midlife crisis, you know? My life would have been shortened. I just would have been... I could have been dead, you know? I literally had nowhere to go. My closest love and family that I was in constant contact with was across the country. And so I drove in my car, and after I fell out, the night that I fell out with my foster family, I lived out of my car for like two or three two or three weeks and that was awful because look at this this is the summer of 2019 it is tremendously hot it, it rarely rains that summer um i was in probably one of the hottest areas of ohio on top of it my car was uninsured i'm black you know I only had a handful of cash and two bonds. And if anybody doesn't know what bonds are, they're basically checks that you can cash, um, but they're established by older members of your family to try to give you um, merit value over the time. So the point of bonds is originally to age them. And as soon as you get to the expiration point of age, you can cash them in for like 15 times the normal source value of the original credit so my bonds were worth maybe seven hundred dollars and i cashed them in 2019 for like two three hundred dollars and so a few times i was able to get a motel you know and i was like okay this is it's pretty good um without my grandparents they sent me money but I was scared, like, to go to a homeless shelter because I was an adult at the time. I was 19 and, um, well, I was 18 at the time, but I was 18 years old, scared to go to a homeless shelter because I've never been one before. Like, the most, the closest I've been to a homeless shelter at that point was jail, but I was scared to go to a homeless shelter. Like, that's just not, I was so young. And most people our age don't go to homeless shelters. Like, that's just not something they see. Because naturally, they, every kid will have some sort of support system. But no, like, here in these states, it's hard. Like, it really is hard. Like, you have to at least have one or two people who you can fall back on. Um, especially as a foster kid. But it really is a matter of they do what they can for you when you're not emancipated and after you're on your own. So I had nowhere to go. Um... And I would do this schedule, and I call it the nightmare schedule, even now. Folks, this was awful. Absolutely awful. So, I would buy junk food. And anybody that knows, if you eat just junk food all the time, for two or three weeks, your body becomes so out of shape just by doing that, that you begin to fall asleep easily. easily. You don't have energy to do anything. So I was sleeping in my car mostly. I obviously it wasn't working so my phone bill ran out eventually to where I would have to find public places to connect to the Wi-Fi just to do anything like even call message anybody and I used to always I'd also have to use the GPS to navigate myself so here I was in the schedule of sleeping in restaurant and gas station parking lots at night I'd drive with the hope that the highway patrol wouldn't pull me over as a, bl- a young black male um, I would have to 
use their water to fill up my water bottles. Um, I had to shit in the, on the side of the road if I had to take a shit, because I obviously didn't want to do it in the place I slept at. So, I, um, yeah, I was filling up on bad stuff. I would have to download movies to keep myself sane. Like, literally, entertainment was the only thing that kept me sane. And so, I would drive around. Like, and anybody who knows Ohio, any of you Ohio natives know that there are a million, it seems like, it feels like millions of little towns, like, in the middle of Ohio. Like, aside from the major ones and the major areas, within all those counties, there are countless major towns, like, that we don't even know about. And, um, I used to go through them, and literally, night after night, I'd have to go, and I couldn't stay at any one place. Like, I'd have to drive around, drive around, and I'd have to Porsche, like, I couldn't just be driving all day, because my gas was limited, too. And it got to the point where I literally had to just pull up somewhere with no gas and just pray to God that I could continue to loiter in that parking lot, fill up on water, and, um, you know, just pay my dues. And so I, at the point of which I was almost out of money, almost out of options, and I was really low mentally, who but my biological mother reached out to me and this is significant because I am at the lowest point ever okay um my already toxic adoptive family proved themselves to be just as toxic and abusive again the only family I ever knew and the family I still love to this day no matter what they think or say about me or like I just I still love them to death and um but I was estranged from them as well um and my biological family who didn't really know where I was and they just didn't really care about my sister and I these were three sets of families that I didn't really have good relationships with so that so I'm at my very worst, my very lowest. When my biological mother reaches out to me without knowing anything about me or where I'm at, she introduces herself to me and her husband, and they offer me a place to stay. And so when I go there, I end up having to leave there as well simply because I refuse to stay there after learning that my biological mother, who I only got to know for about one or two weeks, my biological mother, should I repeat, who I only got to know for two or three weeks, had brain cancer, um, which later took her life the next year. But, um, yeah, man, I just got so used to the you know, homelessness. And I have to tell you, you don't understand this. None but those who have experienced it will understand this. But you would think after everything I endured in basic training down in Fort Benning on Sand Hill, you'd think after foster care, you'd think after running away, I'd get used to that, you know, vagabond, carpetbagger type atmosphere of, you know, never knowing when the end's gonna be, but I didn't. This was serious. Like, there's something about having nobody, really. I mean... Besides those, there's those that you can tell. Like, you can tell your friends you're having a rough time. You can tell your friends... You can tell your friends 
that things are just not looking good. Hell, you can tell your friends that you're about to go to jail, but to tell the rest of your generation that you're homeless at your age, like at 19, 1, 9, I just, it's something else, man. It's it's just bad. And you don't have access to showers. You don't have access to really anything. So you're sweating. You smell like shit. You can only piss outside. You can only shit outside or inside restaurants. Um, you're eating crap food. You're super depressed. Anxiety is super high. Because you don't know who's going to come up to your car and try to rob you. You know, abuse you, whatever beat the shit out of you because you're tall and you're black and for some reason that just makes you gang affiliated off of face value but there's something about knowing that there's nothing that you can do it's that hopelessness it's that semblance of hopelessness there's a disconnect it's like part of your soul kind of just shatters you know it's like a chain that just falls off of you every semblance of foundation security that childish knowledge that even as an adult you keep if you have a stable family because you know there's relatives that will be there for you when it's gone it's gone and that's when that feeling of hopelessness comes and unless you have the sheer will the sheer resolve to stand there with nothing with no money with no hope to say fuck this i'm surviving you are not going to make it you know you're probably going to die because when you're out in the middle of nowhere and can't even call 911, not really, because the signal's so bad, um, you know, and I could've, I could've called 911, but what would they do, what would they do besides arrest me for having an uninsured car, but what would they do but search me for having a car loaded with all my belongings, which aren't very many at this point, you know, what would they do besides profile me? You know, somebody who smells like shit, looks like shit because he hasn't showered, because he's eating bad. I looked like a crackhead, and they had grounds and reason to believe that I was probably on drugs, and I wasn't. I didn't have the benefit of drugs to keep me fucked up and distracted. I experienced all of this, every single bit of it, raw. It was like a slap in the face with no mask, you know? It, I just felt it all. Anyways, after I experienced homelessness the first time, I experienced it two more times. One in L.A. and then one when I came back to Ohio. Both times were not as bad as the first, simply because the one in L.A. I found a youth shelter to go to. And youth homelessness is, of course, really bad out there because homelessness in general is something that, you know, the city of L.A. doesn't seem to find that important. And, of course, why should they help those between the ages of 18 to 25 if they can't help anybody else? Um, But they have more progressive programs out there that make it easier for somebody to actually get up on their feet. And... I would have continued to do so out there if not for Corona. You know, I actually got my apartment, got a job, a good job doing radio for the city of Pasadena. Um, I was reading out public service announcements and um, could have been a career, but nope, 
Corona hit, shit got expensive, people started freaking out. Um, this is LA, you know, so this was pretty much the event horizon of the nightmare. And within a few weeks, hundred thousands of cases, people were dying like crazy, people were getting paranoid. Um, and I ended up being right back down in South LA with the rest. And uh, I can't really determine whether that experience I had in South LA in an extremely dangerous neighborhood that makes the neighborhoods of Columbus like pale in comparison when it comes to threats. You can't wear certain shirts. You can't even make certain motions with your hands. You're not supposed to look at people for a certain amount of time. You got to know who's who. You know, you just have to have knowledge of like certain gangs and groups. Um, not because you want to get involved, obviously, unless you're a stupid ass. Um, but because you just got to know certain shit that's going on because certain people in certain communities that you work with, you know, you just got to know what not to say to certain people. It's a whole thing. And that was the first time I endured that in the four or five months I was down there. That was a eye opener, you know, first time I got a gun put in my face, first time I've been stabbed. First time I got really jumped, somebody sold my fucking bike. Um, that shit was off the hook, man. And, um, yeah, it's hard to determine, you know what? I know I would have rather go through that again than I, you know, homelessness because that, that was probably the one of the, that homeless stretch was the lowest point in my life because it's not like I had a friend's place to go to, okay? When it comes to my peers at Kashokton, I had two people. I literally had two people who I really was a, <clears throat> was around in senior year. I followed them. I never really got the temperature of whether they even wanted me to. Sometimes I felt like there was hints, you know, passive-aggressive hints that, you know why we've just kind of gotten accustomed to him trailing along. There are other hints to where it's like, okay, we've gotten used to him. But really, my friendships at Kashokton were more acquaintances. Um, I think the closest ones I got were the Hardesties, definitely, because they welcomed me. And they knew I loved music. And... The band director, I feel like, knew how good I was with music. He knew I was. But I let everybody down because I thought social life that ended up not amounting to anybody or anything was more important in my head. So I didn't care about music as much as playing sports that I knew I wouldn't be good at. And um, as a result of those years, and not really being close to anybody but my foster brother's who now don't even talk to me. Um, there was nobody's house I could just go over to, you know. Like, it is just more of an assurance. How you doing, man? Blah, blah, blah. And really, when my time at Southwest Licking Schools in Pataskala, Watkins Memorial, um, I made some very close friendships there, but it had been years since I talked to them. And, I, like I said, I was just scared to go to a homeless shelter. And, let me, let's, let's get into that real quick. So, homeless shelters versus actual homeless on the street, full 
you know, gypsy style camping out in the car. So a shelter, as you can imagine, is, a sh- you know, it's sometimes government funded, sometimes corporation and conglomerate funded. It's a plethora of different things that could uh, finance volunteer and donation money into housing people, feeding people. When I first got in L.A., I was on the bus. I mostly, I never flew. I was always taking Greyhounds, which I used to love until I didn't. I traveled across, you know, all across the country on Greyhounds, and when I first arrived in L.A., that's when the ocean first hit me. I knew I was homeless again, but I had a little bit more experience, but that experience only took me so far because this wasn't being homeless anywhere, you know, this was L.A., this was a monster, and being homeless in L.A. attached you to certain negative connotations. And so, if you become homeless in L.A., you become a merge of a larger statistic. I mean, you really do. You just become a merge of a larger statistic. And I had become a merge of a larger statistic. And so, I, knowing that 211 was the emergency helpline in Ohio, I called 211 in L.A. I said, you know... I'm 20 or so years old. I am homeless. And I don't know what to do. And rather than just hang up on me, thankfully, they said, well, since you're so young, we will help get you into a place designed for younger people who are homeless because it's so common. And so they took me to this place in South Central, which was... A thing, um, and it was called the Good Seed, and so the Good Seed was basically a place ran by a lady named Miss Angela, and Miss Angela was super sweet, and the staff she hired were sometimes questionable, but they encouraged you to get work, obviously, and they encouraged you to do whatever. So most of the kids, some of the kids, they didn't. They were just lazy, and they ended up being homeless out on the street again. Or and then some of them end up getting jobs in the area. My circumstance, however, and thankfully God had put me with. I held myself with a certain pomposity, if you will, and I knew that I did not want to settle down in the area, in an area that I knew very well by rumor, reputation, song lyrics was fucked up Um, I got the talk from LA natives, what to do, what not to do, experiencing it was way more um, informative than hearing it from them, but I knew the area I told the housing coalition there that I did not want to look for an apartment in an area that was so fucked up that like succeeding was just not Guaranteed, if you couldn't stay out of the heat, because I was in a hot ass neighborhood, like to the to the left over a few streets. Um, anybody who knows South Central LA, the Van Ness Bloods were on one side, the Rolling Sixty Crips were over on Crenshaw 
and the shelter was right across from Van Ness Park. And I, I think it's probably still there. If you look up the Good Seed on Google, the Good Seed Shelter LA, it'll show you like South Central LA. It's right in the middle of the fuck hood. And I knew, I said, I refuse to do this. So when I was calling up, when I first arrived in LA, I, I talked to a dude who wanted me to go to his drop-in center. So I started going more north. And I, yeah, I took a little lift, whatever, with the cash I had and stuff. And I started going more north. And suddenly the neighborhood started getting from not as sus to, you know, all right, to, you know, really nice. And I thought, damn, damn, this is nice. Like, And so I went through Glendale which is beautiful. I went through Pasadena and I went to this drop-in center, which is basically, if anybody doesn't know what a drop-in center is, a drop-in center is where homeless can go to get, pick up clothes, get food, get a shower, do groups. Um, they have a few here in Ohio too, but, um, it's a youth drop-in center called Youth Moving On, I believe it was called. And I did paperwork with some guy and it sucked because right around the corner in this nice ass area they had their own shelter like housing for people for kids and um i was well within the range you know i think you always i think it's 25 26 where you have to get out and i was 20 20 at the time or 21 i'm trying to remember no 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 i was 20 21 now um but yeah i um it sucked because if i would have moved into that shelter I would have been in Pasadena. And I could have stayed there until I was, you know, like, 25. Or 26. But, no. No, they didn't have any room, so I had to keep going down. Like, I had to stay in, the sh- like, the south-central L.A. instead of being able to, like, live up north. And, um, so, to get myself away, I had to take that long-ass fucking bus route up to north the north several times until finally i ran out of money and i just i realized everybody at the shelter i was staying at at the good seed you know the staff said it's not practical for you to go up north all the time and i was really bummed out because i just refused i said i'm not going to settle down in here and obviously i didn't say that to them because a lot of them were local and they're very prideful about their neighborhoods and stuff so if I had an implicit in my voice that suggested that I thought I was like above them, which I didn't, um, it just could have been horrible for me. And a lot of the dudes there were so wrapped up in gangs and shit that we had a lot of issues. I managed to keep my head down. Seriously, it was the most humbling experience I've ever had. I, like I say, I went through a lot of shit there. There's a lot of dangerous situations, man. It fucked my anxiety up. Um, yeah, it, it was an experience. However, however, another hope came to me, which was later shattered. But so I got a call from one of the staff at Youth um, Moving On up in Pasadena. So they paid for me to get a lift up there. And he offered me an internship program to do this radio thing up in Pasadena. And so I, for the duration of about two weeks, lived in this place like is a airbnb that's what they call them and um the company funded for me to do it because they liked my voice and they taught me 
some techniques when it came to speaking. Um, which I seem to... <coughs> I've forgotten, obviously. Uh, not really. Whatever. And, um... Yeah, so I did that job for two weeks. Got get paid really good. It was $19 an hour. It, it, it was just fantastic. And, um... Which, over there, is uh, okay. That's okay. Like, it's not the most, but it's pretty good. Um considering their minimum wage and so i i took the job obviously and i was able to pay for a few more weeks of the airbnb and okay so what i'm about to tell you is something that you do not have to believe i can verify it is i can verify it you know i can show you proof if you need it um but you do not have to believe me i've haven't told a lot of people this but some people already know um so when I was working at this job for the transit service in Pasadena, I came across an individual who proposed to me the idea that the entertainment world was pretty much groping around. So investors all over LA were looking into people, influencers, people who seemed to captivate, people who had stories to tell, and people who are just engaging, you know, whether they had a unique talent or just that X factor about themselves that they think could really bring shareholders a lot of revenue. So I was approached about joining one of these houses, per se, and obviously I turned it down because rule number one in L.A. is if somebody gives you a double-sided deal, a three-picture deal, when it comes to film when it comes to social media when it comes to um moderate like moderating how much money you make from ads and stuff um and how you monetize per your tax rate per the seconds of yourself and how much you advertise for sponsors like it's all it all factors into one thing and if the terms of their contract aren't absolute if they're not constant if it's if they put in fine print somewhere that this contract is not a constant, you deny it immediately. Everybody knows that. If you miss a big opportunity, whatever. But you're not sabotaging yourself. Like, that's key in point. So I said no. That content house, lo and behold, turned out to be one of the most successful ones that used various social platforms to advertise themselves. I was a little upset because obviously I just screwed myself over um but needless to say it wasn't the most popular content house it it you know like it was mostly most of the influencers there and some of the other people that they looked at were you know 20 and up you know this wasn't it like youngsters you know it wasn't like the hype house or anything like that but you know it ended up getting like I last I looked after I denied it within the next few months of the summer before corona hit it was um at like a few million so i was miffed i was extremely miffed but um it wouldn't have mattered anyways because corona hit la and i ran out of money and i'd go back homeless and um eventually i left and i came back but um yeah man it just sucked but homelessness is in a sense, 
I call it the gift that keeps on giving simply because the mixture of poor self-image added on to layers and layers and layers and layers and layers of anxiety, um, instant gratification, an unwillingness to motivate yourself, um, and a stagnant sense of self-unimportance. It all funnels into a reoccurring comfort with homelessness. Because when you're homeless, a lot of shelters, they don't, it's not a constant thing. Like, the stipulation of your own success is only a factor of your own motivation. Ergo, in more simpler terms, unless you have the will to do better for yourself, nobody is going to help you. Especially if you have no support system, like I didn't. And, uh, yeah, it just, it was, um, the whole thing, man, it it just sucked. And I experienced it one more time when I came back to Ohio, because obviously I had nowhere to go after the steward screwed me over again. But I blame myself. I do blame myself, folks, for that, because I went back to these people knowing, knowing damn well that I hadn't worked out before. And needless to say, I was in the middle of the hood. And in L.A., anybody who's truly from L.A. or has been to L.A. and knows the hoods there, knows in the summer, they do something called Hood Day. And every hood, every major like gang there, every family, all the communities, they pick a day of the week. And depending upon who it is, I, I don't know who's got what, but... They pick a certain day of the week, every week, and that day is their hood day. And, um, hence the term, every day is hood day, when it comes to their beef and shit, but... So, when after the first hood day occurred, and I believe it was the VNGs, they did their hood day in the Van Ness Park right across from the shelter. Um, which, if anybody of you have actually watched All-American, I believe that park is shown a few times, but, um, more importantly, after the first time they did Hood Day, which always, always, always occurs, and somebody getting shot, the LAPD showing up, it's a constant, but it was so, the heat was so bad that they were right in front of the shelter, like, you have to understand, this is a very thin road between the park and the shelter, we nobody thankfully brought heat up on us, but it was so tense that like I just knew I had to get out of LA because obviously Corona was bad, couldn't go anywhere. I missed the opportunity to stay up in Pasadena and become a fucking influencer, a real influencer. And um, you know, so I reached out to the only people I know knew who would say something to me, and um. The stewards, they paid for me to get Greyhound, uh, Greyhound home. I endured their abuse. Well, the final round of their abuse didn't occur. This last time, it wasn't direct. They, it was perfect, actually. 
it was perfect until it wasn't. So I was there for a few weeks. My anxiety was really bad. I was having panic attacks. Um, they presented to me with the opportunity, the chance of getting an apartment, a car, and helping me get a job and getting all my documents set so I could save money, go to school, move on with my life. I knew I'd have to pay them back. And I had agreed to, because that's fair. You give me that, I give you this. That's the principle of capitalism. That's always how Americans done it. Um, and I agreed to it. And so I basically found myself in a situation to where I had an apartment again, a job at the mall again, and, I should mention, um, a car. If I didn't mention that already. And um, so... I I don't know what the mentality was or if that was the original plan, but they suddenly hit me with I you owe us this before I anticipated. And they threatened to like sue me. But folks, especially my age, if anybody present you presents you with a contract, one, read that shit, read every inch of it, and two, make sure it's notarized. If that shit isn't notarized, your pen best not hit that fucking paper. Because if it's not notarized, there's no court in this United States of America that can hold you to it. I'm serious. If that contract is not notarized, there is no court within this United States of America that will hold you to the punishment. And they did not notarize it. Partially because they knew it it couldn't be notarized. It wasn't it just wasn't eligible for things that don't make sense or that aren't balanced in terms of the bank notarizing it. The bank will not notarize contracts that they themselves wouldn't write out. So um, they knew they couldn't and they knew I was young and they knew I didn't know anything but like they knew I didn't know better. And so they said, oh, all of a sudden you owe us this money. So I started paying the money back because I thought they'd sue me or you know, get the sheriff on me or whatever. I didn't know how it was. I like I didn't know how it worked. And so with that, I started missing rent payments. Um, I just started losing so much money to their outrageous, you know, back charges to where I I eventually got in November evicted from my apartment. I lost my job because I lost my car, which they took back, and. Yeah, man, it just, it was a mess. So I found myself in a homeless shelter again, again. And these people, they did it again. I allowed them to do that to me again. I have to tell you, the last time the shelter, I just, I, I, I hate rock bottom. I did. I, I was suicidal. I'll admit it. I'll be honest. I was super, super. I was suicidal. Thought about killing myself because my mom was dead. I had no relationship with my grandparents anymore. People that raised me fucked me up again. I had no connection to my foster family. No friends. You know, no acquaintances. No significant other. Which I was okay with. That's really not relevant. I don't. That's whatever. But, um, I had literally nobody. You have to find the will to get the fuck out. 
okay? Let me say this. If any of you are listening to this right now, if there's anybody out there right now who are have thought like who are actively thinking about ending it, please listen to what I'm about to say. I don't give a fuck what the therapists say. I don't give a fuck what the signs say, the pins, the you know, the cards. I don't give a shit about what the sh- the shirts say, what Google says, man. Don't forget about that, okay? Forget about the common things, you know. Oh, there's always a purpose, please. We want, you know, don't forget it, okay? Um Listen to this. There is always 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 something. It's like Life is like a tree, okay? Right now, you are at the top branch. And you are afraid because the branch that you're holding on to is old. Okay, it's expired, it's withered away, it's barely hanging on. And you're scared to fall. But half of you wants to fall. Because you feel like the shame of climbing back up to the top of the tree would be too much to handle, Okay? But you can't be afraid to fall, man. Like, you, you, you have to get back up. You have to. You have to. You have an obligation to yourself to get back up, man. Think about what's really upsetting you. Don't just say, life sucks, I'm at ideal. Okay, so my life was at the worst. But I had to identify what exactly was fucking me up. And it was because... I had no job, I had no money again, and I had strained relationships. I I had estranged everybody I had a deeper attachment to. That's specifically why I was getting fucked up. And now, you also have to think about the principle. How hard are you being on yourself right now, separate from the fact that you're suicidal, okay? (sighs) 21 years old. I expected the world of myself. I was expecting myself to have standards that people usually don't get to mentally, financially, and in a life perspective until they're like 40. But I was holding myself to that standard. And that's not fair. You can't do that to yourself, man. Don't be afraid to stumble. Just make sure you grab onto another branch before you hit the ground, man. And you just can't let yourself go down that road you, you can't there, there's always something else man you have to peek over the tree line to see the sun you, you have to peek over the tree line okay if anybody you ever seen the hobbit there's a moment in Mirkwood. they call it Mirkwood because at the time whatever but um bilbo baggins and the company of thorin oakenshield they're all fucked up because of the magic of the forest and shit but there's a moment where he pulls himself up over the leaves and he sees the beautiful skyline, man. He looks to the um, um, northwest, I believe, and he sees not only the lonely mountain, but this beautiful sunset. And the wind hits his face and he can breathe clearly. And for the first time in his life, he can see. After all of his cowardice, after all of his complacency, you know, in life, 
after all the experiences he went through fighting the pale orc and everybody Bilbo sees life he sees the distance as he's never seen before and that is what you need to realize waits for you if you keep going on folks like you have to see it man you have to smell the fresh air you have to see the sunlight you have to see the lonely mountain because that mountain is tall and once you climb it once you get into it there'll be more dragons to slay but there's treasure there treasure like you don't know and it's not always tangible treasure sometimes it's about the treasure that you share the fact that it's yours So we're approaching the um, 50 minute mark and um, I'm glad I did this, you know, I, um, this is therapeutic to me. Expressing my thoughts is therapeutic. I go to therapy naturally simply because it's something I feel obligated to do for myself and for others that I may come to, you know, love in the future not just in relationships, you know, that are romantic, but for, you know, future kids that I might have or anybody, you know, I feel I need to take accountability for the fact that I have mental health issues because I have a shit ton of trauma. But this right here, connecting with people via shit that I say and hearing what they have to say about it. This is therapeutic. Um, Folks, keep in mind that I will not always be so, like, dark, so dismal. Um, You know, I will introduce, like, some shows will be more humorous than others. Um, Some shows won't be talking about just me. Some things will be talking about, oh, reoccurring events. Um, You know, modern issues. Or specific topics, you know. You guys can shoot me a text. You can shoot me a Snapchat. You can message me on Instagram. Tell me what you want me to talk about. Ask personalized questions. You know? Send me a Q&A. <laughs> um, and I'll answer them. To the absolute truth. Okay? And if you want something personalized, I'll, I'll, if I can, I'll address it. To you. Simply because I know people respond better to, you know, detailed analysis of something they want dissected if you will and I am a very expressive person you know I'm not the once introverted um socially anxious romantically awkward guy I was you know I've been through too much shit to put other people on a pedestal and be weird about stuff man like I just come so far when it comes to my own confidence like and I'm not arrogant I'm not conceited I just have enough confidence in myself from everything I've been through to look somebody in the eyes now and tell them how I feel about things, man. Um, on a final note, folks, you enjoy the rest of your night. Tell somebody today that you love them, you know? Hug somebody tight. Ask them about themselves, man. Be genuine. You never really know who you got. One of my favorite things in the world is seeing instances of happy families. Everybody's got their own sad story, man. But I don't believe in the whole premise of, 
you know, everybody's got their own sad story and we, you should just deal with it and shut the fuck up. Don't shut the fuck up. Never shut the fuck up. Express yourself. Express your emotions. Connect with people. Don't be afraid to tell other people your experiences. Like, seriously. It's not about you being quiet. Guys, it's fucking 2021. It's not the boomers and the baby boomers generation anymore where we have to shut the fuck up about, up about anything. Don't be afraid to express yourself. Okay? Everything that you've endured so far is valid. It's important. It contributes to who you are as a person. As are the deeds. It's not about, you know, how many fucking car dealers that your dad owns. It's not about, you know, oh, I was popular in high school. People peak, you know? People peak. And in that peaking, they begin to realize that what happens after um, that perfect scenario of socialization that you get to experience in high school without having to take accountability because most of the judgments that we make are anonymous. Um, they begin to realize that they're not, you know, they're just not important, man. Well, it is 9.20 p.m. I'm exhausted. I got work soon. Y'all enjoy the rest of your night. Thanks for coming to my podcast.